Hey everybody, my name is Sarah Kreger. I am an emergency physician and intensivist at UCLA. Let's talk about vent alarms and how in fact they're useful not just put on this earth to annoy you. I think when most of us hear a ventilator alarm, we think that the vent is yelling at us. The vent's really angry at us and mostly we just want to get it to stop yelling at us. But here's the thing about ventilator alarms. The vent is actually your friend. The vent is just trying to help you. The vent is trying to tell you something important about your patient's pulmonary physiology. And all you need to do is to learn to understand what it's trying to say. So here's the thing. You can understand so much more about your patient's pulmonary physiology from a ventilator than you can from a chest x-ray or an ultrasound or even a CT scan. The vent is an enormously valuable source of information about your patient's pulmonary physiology and gives you information you can't get any other way. All you need to learn to do is interpret that information. The first thing about vent communication skills is you've got to learn the functional anatomy of talking to a ventilator. Ventilators are like cars. There's a million makes and models, but if I get into a kind of car that I've never driven before, I still know how to drive it, right? Because I'm like, okay, the steering wheel's there, the brake's there, the accelerator's there. I basically know the core parts of a car, so I can kind of figure out how to drive a car, though I've never driven that particular make and model before. Ventilators, same idea. Once you understand the functional anatomy that all ventilators share, you can kind of go from model to model figuring them out. So there's three core components of ventilator functional anatomy. The first component is you tell the ventilator what you want to happen. The second component is the ventilator tells you what's actually happening, because in ventilators, as in life, what you want to happen and what are actually happening are often not the same thing. And the third key part of the ventilator is where the vent explains to you with waveforms why things are happening. So that is basic vent functional anatomy. Every ventilator has those parts. You just got to figure out where they are. Now, the next thing we need to understand so that we can communicate with the vent is some basic pulmonary physiology. But don't worry, we're going to keep it really, really basic. Because at the end of the day, in certain ways, the lungs actually aren't that complicated. So we are just going to use some straws and some balls to represent our lungs. That's what they look like. Now, the good news is that you actually already have a pretty intuitive grasp of pulmonary physiology. And we know that if you simply answer the following question, which would be easier to do? Would you rather blow up a beach ball with a boba straw or a basketball with a coffee straw? This is not a trick question. It's obviously easier to blow up a beach ball with a boba straw. So that means that you already intuitively understand physiology. And now all we need to do is give names to things. So when we're talking about our straws, that's our resistance. Our boba straw has low resistance. Our coffee straw has high resistance. When we're talking about our lung compliance, those are our balls. Our beach ball has high compliance. Our basketball has low compliance. Now, what really are these things? Well, resistance you can think of, like the pressure required to get the air to the ball. And compliance is the pressure required to inflate the ball. That's it. That's really all you need to know about pulmonary physiology to understand ventilators. Now, here's the thing. Not all all ventilator alarms are created equal. 
there are two vent alarms you really care about and two you don't care so much about. The two vent alarms you don't actually care that much about are one, high respiratory rate, and two, low respiratory rate. Why don't you care about these as much? Because they're pretty straightforward. Fixing them is relatively easy, and they're often not indicating that something's going horribly wrong with your patient's lungs. If you have a high respiratory rate alarm, what is that telling you? Often it's telling you that you're having a problem with sedation, pain, agitation, something like that. You've under-sedated your patient. Or that you have some kind of bad neurologic problem, those patients will just overbreathe really fast. Because if the respiratory rate on the vent is high, what's almost always happening is the patient's overbreathing. They're breathing faster than the rate you set. So address that problem, and often that solves that. What about low respiratory rate? Almost the only time this happens is when you're in a spontaneous breathing mode, like pressure support, where the vent is not delivering any mandatory breaths, the patient's just breathing at whatever rate they feel like, kind of like BiPAP through a tube, basically. If that's the problem, the solution, really easy. Put them back on a rate and figure out, did you over-sedate them? What else is happening? But again, easy solution. Now let's move on and talk about the two vent alarms that you definitely care very much about, both because they're more complicated to understand and troubleshoot, and because this is where you really start learning about your patient's pulmonary pathophysiology. So the two vent alarms you care very much about are low tidal volume and high peak pressure. Let's talk about low tidal volume alarms first. So when your low tidal volume is alarming, your vent is going to measure how much tidal volume the patient's actually exhaling. And based on that, it's going to go off low tidal volume alarm. Now, when a low tidal volume alarm is going off, what you need to figure out next is what's the patient's peak pressure? Because your understanding of what that low tidal volume alarm means is dependent on whether the peak pressure is high or low. So you're going to look over at your peak pressure. Now, a normal peak pressure should be about less than 30. So we're saying, okay, I have a low tidal volume alarm. What is going on if my peak pressure is low? Let's take that situation first. Low tidal volume and low peak pressure. What is our differential diagnosis in that situation? Well, the first thing is that there's a leak around the tube. Maybe the pilot balloon is broken. Maybe it got damaged during intubation. Maybe the patient woke up and bit through it. Or maybe there's a leak in the circuit. That can happen sometimes. Just in all the different connections. Happens all the time. And that'll give you low tidal volume and low peak pressure. What's another reason that you could have low tidal volume with low peak pressure? Well, if you have a big pneumothorax, like maybe a trauma with a big lung lack, and you have a chest tube in place, then what can happen is you can put air through the ET tube down into the lungs and it goes straight out again through the chest tube. In that case, you'll get a low tidal volume because the air is not really expanding the lungs, it's just going in and out, but you'll also have a low peak pressure. Now, that's only if you have a chest tube in place. We'll talk later about what happens if you don't have a chest tube in place. So the idea here is, if you have a low tidal volume alarm and your peak pressure is low, there's a leak somewhere in this circuit located. What if, though, you have a low tidal volume alarm and your peak pressure is high? Well, now we need to talk about high peak pressure alarms. So your peak pressure alarm is going off. Your peak pressure is high. We need to figure out what's happening and why that is. 
And basically, when the vent is saying, hey, I'm detecting a high peak pressure, essentially what's going on is it'd be like if you're trying to blow up a balloon and you're just really having a hard time blowing it up. It's really difficult to blow up that balloon. Now, the question is why? Because we already know that we're not dealing with this situation. That's not the problem. We're dealing with this situation, right? We're dealing with one of these because the balloon's hard to blow up. So something's going wrong, either with my ball or my straw. But which one? How do I know? And it matters which one. Because what I do to treat a basketball lung is very different than what I might do to treat a coffee straw lung, right? So we need to know which one. But how do we know? Because, you know, we can't tell. We can just tell it's difficult to blow up. But how do we know why? Fortunately, this is when we can ask the ventilator for help and it tells us the answer. So, We're like, okay, this is hard to blow up, but we don't know why. What we do is we press the inspiratory hold button. And the vent is like, don't worry, I got this. Let me help you out. Plateau pressure coming right up. Because that is how we are going to figure out the difference between do I have a problem with my straw or do I have a problem with my ball? Now, let's talk about for a minute what a plateau pressure means. So back to our simple model of the lungs. The peak pressure, that's what the vent is just measuring all the time. The peak pressure tells you the highest pressure detected at any point in the system from the tubing to the ET tube, down through the airways, down through the alveoli. That's what the peak pressure is telling you. Highest point at any point in that circuit. The plateau pressure, on the other hand, is telling you something different. The plateau pressure is telling you the highest pressure that the alveoli are seeing. Because that's actually what you care about right? If you're worried about barotrauma, you're worried about high pressures injuring the lungs, it doesn't really matter what kind of pressures the trachea or the ET tube is seeing. You don't care about that. What matters is what pressures the alveoli is seeing. That's what the plateau pressure is telling you. Now, this becomes extremely useful because when you push that inspiratory hold button, you get a graph. And this is a core to how we're going to figure out our patient's lungs. So what does this graph mean? Let's dissect it a little bit. So we have our peak pressure. That's the highest pressure the vent detects anywhere in the system. Then we have our plateau pressure. And functionally, what that plateau pressure is telling you is how much pressure did it just take to blow up that balloon? Or compliance. Your plateau pressure is telling you about compliance, the pressure it took to blow up the ball. Now, the difference between the peak and plateau pressures, that's your straw. The difference between those two is how much pressure did it take to get the air to the ball in the first place or your resistance. That is what this is telling you. It's telling you about your patient's pulmonary physiology. So we're ready to go. We're like, okay, something's going wrong. It's hard to blow up the ball. Let's figure out our patient's pulmonary physiology onward. So you're like, okay, I'm going to press my plateau pressure button. I'm going to press my inspiratory hold. I get a plateau pressure. And in normal lungs, it looks like this. Normal lungs, you know, you have a beach ball and you have a boba straw. And your peak pressure is a little bit higher than your plateau pressure, but not a whole lot because you don't have that much airway resistance or resistance of the circuit. So most of that pressure is used blowing up the ball. And, you know, you're like in a range of 20, 15 to 20, maybe. That's what a normal lung looks like. Now let's talk about, you do this, your peak pressure alarm is going off, you're like, let me check a plateau pressure. Now let's talk about abnormal patterns. So one pattern you could see is this. This is abnormal. 
what is this telling us? Well, our peak pressure is really high, right? We knew that already. But wait a minute, our plateau pressure is actually normal. And so if our plateau pressure is normal, what that means is that it actually didn't take that much pressure to blow up the ball. We have beach ball lungs. What's our problem? Well, our problem isn't with our compliance. Our problem is this. Our problem is the difference between the peak and the plateau pressures or the airway resistance. There's some kind of resistance in the tube. And so now we're saying, okay, if I have a high peak pressure and my plateau pressure is low, this pattern, what does that tell us? What's this differential diagnosis? High peak pressure, but a normal or low plateau pressure. Well, the first thing it could be telling us is that my patient just has, you know, coffee straw airways. They have asthma or COPD. That is one possibility. And with asthma and COPD lungs, Often the alveoli is fine. The lung compliance is fine. That's not your problem. Your problem is not blowing up the lungs once you get the air there. Often your problem is getting the air there in the first place. We are dealing with a straw problem. That's one possibility. Another possibility here is an obstruction somewhere in the system. Now, it could be as simple as your patient starting to wake up and they're chomping down on that tube and they're obstructing flow. It could be that you have a bunch of mucus plugging somewhere in that ET tube or the lungs and that maybe your right main stem bronchus is obstructed potentially. But there's an obstruction somewhere in the tube or the system. A common site of obstruction actually that I've been seeing more and more post-COVID is actually the HME filter. So a lot of hospitals use these HME filters to humidify the air in a vent. And you'll see this and it'll be part of the vent circuit. Now, when we had to start using these all the time with COVID um, and we ran out of the bi-directional ones, we had to start using these other ones. And I discovered a problem, which is if you give the patient nebs or even just after a while, if you wait long enough, they can get saturated with fluid. It could be pulmonary edema fluid coming out of the tube. It could be the albuterol you just gave them to try and improve things. But Basically, if your HME filter is saturated, you're going to see a high peak pressure, a normal plateau pressure, because basically you're obstructing the tube. You're essentially smothering your patient with a wet sponge. And if that's the problem, the only thing you can do to fix it is switch out the HME filter. So I've been seeing this happen more and more frequently. So the bottom line here is when we're like, oh, it's really hard to blow this up. Why? If we see this pattern, it tells us that the answer is, in fact, we're having a resistance problem, not a compliance problem. It could be for multiple reasons. So our high peak pressure alarm, if we have a high peak pressure and a low or normal plateau pressure, that's telling us we have increased resistance. All right. What about the opposite situation? What about, again, our peak pressure alarm's going off, our peak pressure's high, but this time we do an inspiratory hold, we check a plateau pressure, and this time our plateau pressure is also high. What does this graph mean? Well, here's our peak pressure, the highest pressure anywhere in the lungs, and this is our plateau pressure. Our plateau pressure is almost equally as high, and what is that telling me? That is telling me I have some basketball lungs that I'm dealing with. That is telling me the pressure the alveoli are seeing is high and that it was actually hard to blow up the ball. Now, getting air to the ball was fine. That wasn't our problem. We're not having a resistance problem. We're having a compliance problem. So now this situation with a high peak pressure and a high plateau pressure, what is our differential diagnosis for this situation? Well, 
One of the main things is something like ARDS or pulmonary fibrosis. I now have basketball lungs. My lungs are stiff, the compliance is poor, and they're hard to blow up. That is one possibility. Another possibility, now we come back to what happens when you have a pneumothorax, but there's not a chest tube in place. Because if there's a pneumothorax without a chest tube in place, that air, instead of escaping out into the wilderness, builds up and builds up and builds up within the thoracic cavity and makes the peak and plateau pressures high. Okay, there's one other situation that we need to think about, and it's this. When you have restriction of the thoracic cavity for some reason, because the ventilator is smart, but it's not perfect. And the ventilator can't tell the difference between high transpulmonary pressures, or what are the pressures across the lungs, versus high transthoracic pressures. Because let's say, for example, that I have a patient and I put a 70-pound weight on top of their chest. Now, it's hard to blow those lungs up, right? Your vent's trying to oh, blow it up, but it's hard. But he can't tell that actually the lungs are fine, there's just a 70-pound weight on their chest. So, this situation, high peak pressure and a high plateau pressure, also in the differential, is thoracic restriction. Now, this can be from obesity. In obesity, you have your chest wall pushing down on the lungs. We have the diaphragm with all those abdominal contents pushing up on the lungs. But you can also see this, for example, intra-abdominal stuff. So if my patient has, let's say, um, abdominal compartment syndrome, this will often be the presenting thing. You're doing this big resuscitation with this patient. You're giving them massive, massive amounts of blood products. And all of a sudden, the peak pressure alarm goes off. And you're like, what's happening? Peak pressure alarm's going off on the vent. And you check a chest x-ray, and the chest x-ray looks a little hypoinflated, but not bad. And then you do a plateau pressure, and the plateau pressure is high. What's happening is your abdomen the pressures in your abdomen are super high and mashing up on the lungs. That can happen. It can happen with abdominal compartment syndrome. I've even seen similar things happen when my patient just has a super distended abdomen from maybe a small bowel obstruction. So those are the kinds of things that you can think about. And again, the vent can't tell the difference between basketball lungs and something's restricting your thoracic cavity. They'll both present with this high peak and high plateau. And so in this situation, when you're trying to tell the difference and you see this, it's telling us that this is what you have with the high peak pressure and the high plateau pressure. So if you have a high peak and high plateau, that is telling us that we have decreased compliance either of the lungs or the chest wall. So that's vent alarms in a nutshell. In fact, hopefully now you'll see that they're useful, not just annoying. Hopefully now you won't just think, oh, the vent's angry at me. You'll understand that the vent is actually your buddy and trying to tell you useful stuff. Doing an inspiratory hold gives you all kinds of useful information about your lungs resistance versus compliance. You don't care about all vent alarms. Not all vent alarms are created equal. The two most important ones that you care about are your low tidal volume and your high peak pressure alarms. In terms of your differential diagnosis for low tidal volume, it depends. Is your peak pressure low? Or peak pressure high. If your peak pressure is low, find that air leak. It's somewhere. If your peak pressure is high, now we got to check a plateau pressure to help us figure out what's happening. So if we have a high peak pressure, now our differential depends on whether our plateau pressure is low or high. If you have a low plateau pressure and a high peak pressure, that tells you that we have an airway resistance problem or increased resistance in the tuber circuit.
If your plateau pressure is high while your peak pressure is high, that tells us that we have a decreased compliance of either the chest wall or the lungs. Hope that was helpful. Thank you so much for listening.